Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 60 of the Naturally Nourished podcast on dysbiosis and the microbiome. This is Allie Miller here along with my co-host Becky Yu. Hey guys. And this topic is one that we have touched on in many episodes as the gut and the role of gut bacteria are absolutely foundational to whole body health. But today we really want to get into all things specific gut bacteria. Yes, and I can't believe we don't have an episode on this already. I just see, you know, clinically that so, so, so many seemingly unrelated conditions end up coming back to the microbiome. Yes, yes. From skin, mood, GI, all of the things. Yep. <laughs> Hormones, yep. all of the things. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And before we get into this, let's just give our listeners an update of what's going on at the clinic. Yeah. So we are wrapping up the second to last month of the year, entering into December. And um, I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving holiday. I think we're joining you the week just following. And a lot of our clients are starting a big Beat the Bloat cleanse, which we launched this Monday. So this episode is going live now. And so you didn't miss the mark. Um, We are doing a Beat the Bloat cleanse with a discount off of our ebook so definitely check it out and the idea is to really tighten back up on carbohydrate control and take this last month of the year to start to kind of streamline your wellness focus and keep you from falling off the rails Um, so definitely a way to have discipline and focus and the beat the bloat cleanse keeps you at 60 grams of carbohydrates per day Uh, which really allows to start to reset your microbiome, which we'll speak to more today about what that microbiome is and and how it influences. But that's a big push in our clinic right now is the Beat the Bloat uh, cleanse that's done hand in hand with that Beat the Bloat ebook and the Candida cleanse. And then there's another grouping of people that are doing our 10-day detox. So if they weren't ready for the full six-week Candida cleanse and they're a little nervous about sugar restriction over December... The 10-day detox has been an awesome jumpstart also to commit to at the end of this month going into early December to just kind of reset the body. I recommend doing a nutritionally supported 10-day detox quarterly. So that means four times a year, you guys, just like you change the oil in your car, you need to shift the fuel in your body and support the cleansing of your blood and support your liver and kidneys, which are the two main organs that cleanse the blood. And so we definitely want to focus during this time of higher temptation to really harness in and honor and nourish our bodies. So either one of those processes might be a good fit for you, either with uh, starting with our detox ebook, which has the protocol for our 10 day detox, or with the Beat the Bloat ebook. And you could read either or, see where you fit, and then start hitting the ground running. Awesome. And, and so if someone is considering cleanse, how would this work, Allie, with the holidays? So let's just be real. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, the 10 day detox is nine days without alcohol. So that could be a really warranted, beautiful thing. Like I said, you know, and, and maybe still get you a little bit more flexibility following those 10 days, the 10th, 9th and 10th day, actually, technically we do allow Pinot Noir because it has the highest amount of resveratrol. So something to consider, it would be eight days without alcohol, but a good way to kind of wring out the body if we've had a little bit of excess with the holidays and socializing and also kind of just, again, harnessing in on clean eating and single ingredients. So I think it's a very good time to do this. Also, with the Beat the Bloat, like I mentioned, you do still get 60 grams of carbs. So we don't recommend refined sugars, and we do recommend the whole protocol to be grain-free. But you can still definitely do things like uh, nut flour-based cookies and nut flour-based breads and such. So you can still 
channel abundance and holiday flavors uh, without going into too restrictive of a mode, but it keeps you quite conscious, which is a benefit, I think, during the holiday season versus just taking your hands off the wheel. And that's why a lot of people see a five to upwards of 15 pound weight gain over the last six weeks of the year. Wow. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about virtual keto because I know we have some spots already filling up. Yeah. So if you're a little gun shy on like, okay, guys, I love you, but I'm not going to commit to anything until <laughs> the 31st of December has closed. Uh, then the virtual ketosis program may be an awesome fit for you. And it doesn't mean it has to be exclusive. You could do the 10-day detox now and then still jump into keto. But our virtual ketosis program starts that second Tuesday in January and spots are already filling up. I think we only have about 40 spaces left and we do accommodate 100 spots in this program. And this is a 12-week group. You can learn more about it on AllieMillerRD. Dot com under books and programs under ketosis class and um, it is 12 weeks there's six live courses they're all archived you get to watch them you get a spot in our private ketosis group you get customizable materials and the biggest emphasis of our keto program is it incorporates functional integrative medicine so we talk about the influence of stress on the body we talk about the influence of gut bacteria we talk about the role of carb cycling the role of hormones and how a very low carbohydrate high fat diet can be therapeutic to a multi of disease factors and really provide you tools to maintain accountability throughout the process. And this first group that's completed the program, we've seen phenomenal outcomes. I mean, what are some things that come to mind, Becky, that has been shared by participants? I know we've seen weight loss of upwards of 35 to 40 pounds from some participants over this three-month period. We've seen... Uh -huh. body composition shifts within that yep body composition shifts so loss of body fat gain or maintenance of muscle we've seen hormonal influence changes we've seen a couple girls that had pcos get pregnant which is super exciting um, during this process we've seen uh, people go off of diabetic medications see improvements with their cardiovascular function and um, seen lowered cholesterol levels all sorts of really, really cool things. So I hope you guys will join us and snag your spot today. And yes, you don't have to start until the second week of January. <laughs> that gives a little bit of a buffer. Um, and it's yes. a perfect reset for setting your resolutions. For sure. And accountability is definitely key. Yep. All right. And then last, let's just update folks about your book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. So how's all of that going? Oh, yeah. All of the things, you guys. Yep. <laughs> it's going so amazing. I am about 20,000 words in. So that's more than a third, close to half. And I have submitted most of my 30 recipes. So I've been in my kitchen a lot more uh, doing a lot of recipe testing. Uh, some of the fun things that I've um, updated that will be in this book. One is a cherry chia jam thumbprint cookie, which is amazing. Um, also, I have a hatch chili chicken soup, uh, which uses hatched chilies and bone broth and uh, pulled chicken and incorporates jicama for uh, prebiotic fibers to fuel the gut microbiome. And the whole book really takes on a premise of functional integrative medicine and how you can resolve anxiety from the root cause. It also talks about how anxiety is really an underdiagnosed condition in American culture and how there's a lot of shame associated with it. There's a lot of hype in our culture about being a multitasker and, you know, taking on many hats and juggling many balls. And often we don't honor the uh, upper capacity or limitations of the mind and body. And so a lot of us go into this refractory burnout or panic or restlessness or worrisome uh, mentality and I'm really excited to share this as a resource with all of you because I think it's super comprehensive and it honors a much needed focus of mental health. Awesome and I'm just excited about eating all of the recipes you know <laughs> beyond what I'm learning um, but I'm excited about photographing them and getting to test them out as well. Yes. <laughs> Um, so let's get into today's topic then on dysbiosis, starting with the microbiome. Um, so Allie, how do you explain the microbiome to listeners and what it is and kind of why it matters? 
So there are a hundred trillion, yes, trillion, not billion, cells of bacteria and yeast that line our mucosal membrane, starting in our mouth, um, lining our entire gut, and inside of our skin. And so the mucosal membranes and the collection of bacteria, about three to five pounds of living bacteria, are known as our microbiome. And our microbiome has the ability to work with or against the host, which would be your body that it lives in. And so there's this concept of symbiosis when the bacteria or yeast, and probably for intent and purpose, you guys, I'm just going to use the word bacteria. But throughout this episode, if I say bacteria, it could also encompass yeast, okay? Um, But a symbiotic state is when our gut bacteria are able to work with our body in favorable effects. So we can actually see reduced inflammation. We can see improved digestive function and beneficial regulation of our immune system. We can see increased nutrition absorption. So from the foods that we're eating, probiotics or good gut bacteria help to break down food particles and enhance nutrition absorption, as well as manufacture nutrients in the colon. And then in a symbiotic state, we also produce a healthy balance of neurotransmitters, including things like serotonin and other natural mood stabilizers. So pretty comprehensive. (laughs) And you can see why this is important in the body. Um, And then on the contrary, we can see dysbiosis. And dysbiosis is the state uh, against the, or the opposite of, of symbiosis when bad or negative strains of bacteria take over and we have imbalance in the body. So we can see some, some big things we associate with dysbiosis are GI distress, so like gas, bloating, distension, belching, constipation, diarrhea. We can also see the opposing effects of the things I noted in symbiosis. So we could see increased inflammation. We can see immune dysfunction. We can see imbalanced neurotransmitter production. We can see micronutrient deficiencies or inability to absorb nutrients and also a delayed or lowered manufacturing of nutrients in the colon. So we definitely want to focus on getting our body into the most symbiotic state to support whole body health. Okay, so our bacteria make our neurotransmitters, they influence the immune system, and they drive digestive health. So I think a lot of these concepts are kind of already known about on the surface, but really when you take it down to that deeper level, it's just so interesting and so incredible. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what short-chain fatty acids are, how they're connected to this microbiome um, talk, and what prebiotics are. Yeah, so short-chain fatty acids are produced in the presence of prebiotics, so they're basically metabolic end products. We assess short-chain fatty acids when we're looking at a stool test, so a functional medicine practitioner, often the best snapshot of your microbiome is looking at stool because that is 90 plus percent by weight bacteria. And so short-chain fatty acids are end products of metabolism that are manufactured in the presence of probiotics or good bacteria strains and complemented by prebiotics. And prebiotics are fermentable fibers or resistant starches. And so they're basically like the fertilizer, if you will, to your probiotic. And by Uh, the probacteria eating at the prebiotic fiber, production of short-chain fatty acid is made. And short-chain fatty acids include butyrate and organic acids. Um, The butyrate is highly associated with protection against colon cancer. So sometimes the higher the better. And we look at that as a marker of dysbiosis if butyrate is too low. And then the organic acids made as forms of short-chain fatty acids, which include lactic and acetic acids, these play a role in lowering the pH of our intestines, which help hand-in-hand with making uh, less of a 
ability for pathogens or bad bacteria to grow. So it's kind of hand in hand. If we have beneficial short chain fatty acids, that is a sign of symbiosis. And by having these short chain fatty acids, they create a defense mechanism against dysbiosis. So there's a total chicken and egg relationship within this entire microbiome picture, which is really cool and only further emphasizes the importance of being in a symbiotic state because it perpetuates a symbiotic state throughout the body. So the short chain fatty acids play a role in regulating our bacteria state. They also have an influence on our sympathetic nervous system, which is our body's stress response. So they actually can play a role with our release of serotonin on a mucosal level, um, which can help with relaxation and anti-anxiety effects. And the short chain fatty acids have also been associated with influencing our memory and learning process. So there's some research studies that look at deficiencies of short chain fatty acids, not only with cancer, but also with early onset of dementia and Alzheimer's. There's just so much here. <laughs> yeah. And so again, it's like that chicken and egg. The short chain fatty acids make the feel good neurotransmitter release. Um, and then they also, in other mechanisms that are unknown still, directly influence our cognition. And if our cognition is emphasized or optimized, we're probably experiencing less anxiety, which means we need less serotonin. It's this whole kind of cool, cool cyclical thing. Awesome. And so this story really starts off, um, you know, whether we're going symbiotic or, or dysbiotic in our bacterial balance, it really starts off from the birth story, doesn't it? Yes. And that's kind of what we talk about the initial thumbprint, if you will, of your microbiome. And this starts with your birth. And even there are some research studies that are looking at prenatal influencers, especially if the mother took antibiotics during pregnancy. But we're talking about the biggest thumbprint or influence is based on the birth through the vaginal canal and the breastfeeding. And so if a baby is birthed through a cesarean section, um, it's a much more sterilized influence on the body. The, the baby does not get exposed to the vaginal inoculation, if you will. And also if baby is not breastfed, uh, and what episode is that, Becky? <laughs> Forgive me. Was it 56? 55 it was 55 okay. <laughs> was on breastfeeding and you guys go nerd out on that if you missed it because we talk about all things that are in the breast milk and one of the big ones definitely are um, probiotics so you're inoculating babe with breastfeeding and there are some probiotics that are added to formulas but definitely not in the same diversity or viability in in breast milk and also there's something in breast milk called HMOs, which are human milk oligosaccharides. And these fibers work very comparable to these prebiotic fibers, which have beneficial defense against bad bacteria and also fuel good bacteria. So right away from whether you were birthed through a vaginal canal and or breastfed, we're starting to inoculate the baby's uh, microbiome, if you will. And then also if there was exposure in utero or um, as an infant or baby with antibiotics, um, we can see a higher correlation in a lot of studies on inflammatory bowel disease, IBS, uh, obesity, and the influence of antibiotics and early childhood intervention. So for those who are listening, we can't really go back and, and change the past, um, but I'm sure many listeners can use this information in their household, um, you know, for their own children. Um, but if we were born via C-section or not breastfed or given antibiotics for more than a year, what can we do now? Yeah. And even before that, I just want to say, because of course I, you know, being moms have guilt always, right? So I had an emergency C-section with Stella and you can also read, we'll link on the uh, show notes, my uh, natural C-section and, and how if you are faced with having to have a C-section, some of the things that you can do, including vaginal inoculation or seeding, um, which can definitely help to offset that sterility factor of a C-section. So there's things that can be done, even if that is your fate. But yes, like you said, Becky, if we're like, okay, am I screwed? <laughs> Here I am at 30, whatever, and that was my fate. What happens with that thumbprint? How do I etch out that thumbprint or, or rework it for my benefit. So we are realizing, we used to think that that thumbprint was kind of set in stone and you could make 
moderate fluctuations, but that was kind of your B. We are learning now in up-to-date research that lifestyle influencers, including stress, uh, oral medications, be them pharmaceutical or prescriptive or over-the-counter, and also diet and um, other lifestyle influencers can definitely mold and drive microbiome expression and can create significant variants. So these can actually overwrite that initial thumbprint, if you will. So starting with stress, uh, the first thing we think of with stress is in that fight-or-flight mode, we can definitely have reduced saliva so less than about a quarter of the amount of saliva is made and in our saliva is biofilms um, which play a big role with already that mucosal membrane that that microbiome um, capacity and kind of webs if you will or networks of uh, underlying mechanisms of bacteria in the saliva the saliva also has antimicrobial properties or an ability to fight bad bacteria and that is of course helpful if we were to consume a pathogen like E. coli or salmonella in our food sources. So when we reduce our saliva, we're not getting as much of that beneficial bacteria balance or biofilm influence. Also with reduced saliva means reduced enzymes, which means we're not breaking down our food particles as much. So there's more stagnation or fermentation, um, especially if the bacteria is already as a baseline imbalanced, you're feeding more growth of that bad bacteria if you don't have ample enzyme activity because the food kind of sits there and that's where we can get that bloating or cramping or food baby, if you will. Also, we've seen even secondary to saliva with enzymes and biofilms and all that stuff that the sympathetic fight or flight nervous system actually has the ability to sterilize our gut and can completely uh, clean or, or flush out our lactobacillus. There were research studies that were done on uh, rodents where they were looking at separating a, a baby mouse from the mama or putting them up to electroshock, so some form of stress, high stress environment. And when they tested their guts, they were completely sterilized in lactobacillus and they had had presence of lactobacillus prior to the induced stressor. And also they had variances within secretory IgA and secretory IgA is a significant marker of leaky gut. So stress creates also more gut permeability and more reactivity to foods and chemicals. And so how wild is that? Like literally just your stress of your job could sterilize your gut, throw off your gut microbiome, and create food sensitivities. That's so crazy to think about. Um, so what about the influence of medications you mentioned? Yeah, so other medications could be, the first one, of course, antibiotics, right? So antibiotics are quite sterilizing, and a lot of them are kind of atom bombs, if you will, that kind of plow out most of the bacteria in your gut, and both the undesirable bacteria and the good bacteria. And the issue is that a lot of the undesirable bacteria, it gets smart. It wants to live, and so they become resilient or resistant to these antibiotics, and they quickly rebound, and they can rebound in more aggressive um, growth, and this can lead to more dysbiosis than prior to antibiotic use. Especially, this is concerning for people that are on long-term antibiotics for like dermatological concerns, like acne and such. Um, this is really concerning because it has a huge sterilizing effect and can drive significant dysbiosis. And then even like kids that are dealing with chronic ear infections, otis media, tubes in the ears, and are on antibiotics multiple rounds throughout a year, this can create a lot of GI distress. So definitely working with probiotics is a super important piece of that puzzle. Um, another world beyond antibiotics is uh, buffers to our gut pH. So I mentioned that those short chain fatty acids reduce our stomach pH. And a drop in pH of your stomach is actually creating more of an acidic environment. Um, higher pH is actually more uh, buffered. And so we're looking at uh, antacid creating a buffering effect. And this could be something like an over-the-counter Tums or Pepto-Bismol or a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor like Nexium, Protonix, Omeprazole, Pantoprazole. All of these drugs block our stomach acidity, which can soothe the burn of heartburn or reflux temporarily. But over time, 
that basic pH of the stomach sets up an environment for bad bacteria and yeast, which only fuels the fire and can create more bloating, more distension, and can in turn create more reflux. So definitely something that can add fuel to the fire, if you will. I work with all of my clients to try to strategically wean. I do like to look at their scope to see if they have any risk of endo, uh, if they've had an endoscopy, if they've had any um, esophageal wear and tear, or Barrett's. I always like to kind of soothe and, and cool before I would wean them off of those drugs, but that's definitely a goal is to get off of those medications, which can have long-term influence on the microbiome and micronutrient deficiencies. And then there's drugs that aren't even related to the gut. So, you know, beyond antibiotics and beyond the digestive PPIs and antacids, things like even birth control, which we might not even connect Birth control has a huge influence in our what's called estrobiome, which is our estrogen digesting bacteria. Crazy. We need a whole episode on that. Um, but our estrobiome has a huge correlation with our microbiome. And that's why we can see with the synthetic estrogen and birth control um, dynamic influences on gut bacterial imbalance. And that's also why some people get yeast infections or flares during ovulation or right after their period during different ebbs and flows of estrogen activity in their body. It's so wild. And I'm sure so many listeners, you know, have been on birth control in the past or, um, you know, still on it for 10 years ongoing. So that's certainly something to consider. Yeah. And then even beyond like medical, uh, drugs, medical intervention, like radiation, surgeries that are sterilizing. So, you know, me having a C-section, if someone had a gallbladder removal, if someone had radiation from cancer treatment, that really all can sterilize the gut bacteria. So, uh, we really want to work on rebounding as quickly as possible with comprehensive bacterial balance. Awesome. And then let's talk a little bit about diet and how that can have a role in influencing the symbiotic or the dysbiotic bacteria. Yeah. So excess of sugar and refined carbohydrates feed bacteria and yeast. So one first line of defense is going low glycemic. And then another thing even is jumping into a ketogenic state, which would kind of really ring out that excessive use of glucose as fuel when we're using ketones as fuel. Uh, ketones are made from our body's fat stores. And these have much more of a neutralizing effect on our microbiome. So this allows us in turn, especially hand in hand with a gut protocol or therapeutic supplements to basically not only just starve off, but kill off the dysbiotic bacteria. And in a different way than we would with an antibiotic, when we're using natural antifungals and antibacterials, they're more selective. They're not as much of an atom bomb hit. So they more work to kind of plow the field uh, versus dissolving the field, if you will. Um, so restricting excessive sugar is the first line of defense. Um, and then actually also what is concerning is a diet that's too low in fiber because you don't get those prebiotic fibers. So I've seen in clients that go keto, if they're too focused on just their numbers of keto and not getting enough, uh, we with our program incorporate two to three cups of leafy greens every single day throughout the protocol. And then even um, during most days, somewhere between a half to two cups of non-starchy vegetables. So getting things like Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cabbage, these prebiotic uh, sulfur fibers help to beneficially influence the microbiome. If we're only doing hard-boiled eggs and meats and fats, we're actually going to not have as much of a symbiotic state, which can throw off whole body health. Um, so diet is important to get ample fiber, but yet low glycemic or even ketogenic. So very low carb with ample fiber. And then the last thing I'd mentioned just in the food and lifestyle is to be mindful of your drinking. Both, of course, excessive alcohol can be sterilizing, but even water. Chlorine and sodium fluoride can be two of the most sterilizing influences. That's why they're added to our city drinking water, right? I mean, to kill off bacteria in the water and they can kill off the bacteria in your gut. So really important to look at good quality filtered water. We do a home delivery service of glass uh, globes of water that we drink exclusively. And I have my water bottle on me like a security blanket, I swear. <laughs> I bring it into every restaurant and um, it's just kind of my, my big thing and a big commitment to my health. 
Awesome. And then is adding probiotics, will that be enough to kind of get ahead of all of these influences or is there something else that we need to do? So yeah, like I said, you know, I mean, if you've had sterilizing influences, like especially during and post and post antibiotic treatment, I always recommend doubling your probiotic for that same equal amount of days and getting both a comprehensive probiotic as well as a good 50-50 blend. So that would mean in, in the formulas that I carry on Allie Miller RD, the spectrum probiotic, and then one of the either targeted strength or baseline, depending on really your bacteria need. But you really have to think of the gut as a garden bed. So just adding seed, if, if your garden bed is cement, <laughs> if it's totally sterilized and doesn't have any soil, um, just adding seed doesn't mean that a garden's going to grow, right? Um, so, or like throwing seeds on aluminum or like metal, nothing's going to happen. So it can be a great start to add in probiotics. And I recommend everyone takes probiotics, but you also need to make sure that you either have a low growth of bad bacteria or you might need to plow the garden bed, like I mentioned, if you have dysbiosis before the good bacteria is accepted. Um, and that's an important thing to think about. If that garden bed is filled with weeds, just throwing seed, those weeds are going to be strangling the growth of the uh, beneficial flowers, if you will. So that's not going to help necessarily. You might need to do a gut cleanse before you could proliferate the good bacteria. Again, adding soil to the garden bed, which would be these prebiotic fibers and your vegetables and um, non-starchy fiber vegetables uh, are going to be, nuts and seed fibers and such, are going to be the fertilizer and the soil that keeps it all viable. So it's all important, but probiotics are definitely a huge piece. Awesome. And I love that analogy of the garden bed. I think it just makes so much sense for clients when they hear that. Um, so let's get into, before we go into particular strains or favorite formulas, let's just talk about the probiotic challenge that you use in clinic. Yeah. So for you listeners, this is an awesome thing to try. Um, so I recommend starting with a 50, 50 blend of lacto and bifido. And the reason is a lot of these sexy probiotics are very wide spectrum. So a lot of these soil based organisms and, a lot of the um, like VSL and multi-multi strains, um, yes, they can be beneficial, um, but it's very diverse. It's like wildflowers. And the most well-researched strains of bacteria are lactobacillus and bifido. And so if we're talking about not knowing if we're in a state of dysbiosis, we want to first inoculate or set up camp of the two most well-researched strains. So I recommend starting with our baseline probiotic, which is our Rebuild Baseline Probiotic. And this is a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido cultures. So it's a good blend of those two well-researched formulas and it's 15 billion CFUs. So 15 billion um, is a pretty moderate amount. It's aggressive, it's definitely higher than like your Align and some of the kind of over-the-counter ones, um, but 15 billion is a good baseline. That's why it's called baseline. Uh, so you start with one at bed for three nights and um, you then increase by one in three-day increments. So days one, two, and three, you would take one capsule of the Restore Baseline Probiotic. Then on days four, five, and six, you would take two capsules. On seven, eight, and nine, you'd take three capsules. And so at day 10 through 12, you'd be on four capsules. And that would bring you up to 60 billion, 15 billion per capsule colony forming units. And what you want to assess is each day, you may take waist measurements with like sewing measure tape um, at your belly button to see variances of bloating or distension um, from rise to rest to rise. Um, and, and definitely not, uh, chart those down or write those down. Check for bloating or distension, belching, flatulence, changes in bowel movements, shifts in energy, dermatological flares. And if things improve with the increase of the probiotic, then I'd recommend shifting to my targeted strength formula for two to three months. This is a 60 billion colony forming unit per capsule. So instead of taking four at bed, you take one at bed. It's gonna give you kind of a heavy hit to inoculate the biome for two to three months. And then you could go back to the baseline as your, again, baseline formula. 
And then what happens if there is intolerance where we have some of those negative symptoms? Yeah, so if you start your probiotic and you get loose stools or you get constipation as you go up the, the scaling or you get more bloating or fermentation, then definitely we want to look at doing a bacterial cleanse. If your dysbiosis symptoms are significant and you're resonating with like maybe you're on anti-anxiety medications or antidepressants and you're dealing with diarrhea and constipation chronically and you're dealing with a food baby, you may want to um, do more of a direct GPS approach to your body with a stool sample. So you might go into doing an advanced stool assessment, which you could look at under my clinic tab on the Allie Miller RD website and click on labs and you can read about our uh, GI tests and the stool tests. And that's something you can do. And in that panel, we would get resistance and reactivity scores. So we would know what natural antimicrobial and antifungal uh, formulas would be the most effective. But I would even recommend before you invest 400 plus dollars into that panel, that the best place to start would be with the Candida Cleanse Bundle. So this incorporates four different formulas. And although it's called a Candida Cleanse Bundle, it can be so much more multifactorial um, because it has a lot of agents that would work for dysbiotic bacteria and even agents that could work on parasite activity. So the first formula in there is um, called GI Cleanup. And GI Cleanup is a particular form of a probiotic that has macrophage properties, or basically what it does is it eats away at bacteria. It's called, it has probiophage influences. So it actually can eat away at bacterial die-off and create space in that garden bed. So this is kind of like the start of a plow or the cleanup in that garden bed. And then the other compound in there is called Berberine Boost. And Berberine Boost, um, Berberine is a antibacterial, antifungal, and anti, uh, I think I said antimicrobial, antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal property. And it also has a little bit of supporting compounds for liver. And can even, it's been shown in research, berberine is one of my go-tos for lowering hemoglobin A1C or regulating your blood sugar levels. So really great for whole body health. Um, definitely can support the liver, which helps with the detox process during the cleansing. But it does have the antimicrobial and antifungal influence as well. So that's actually for your first agent of your kind of weed killer, if you will. Then the other weed killer in your artillery of this bundle is Candy Active. And Candy Active, although named more specific to activate Candida, it has compounds that are good for bacteria, yeast, and parasite as well, driving with oregano and thyme oil. Um, and it works with apoptosis, or basically bacterial cellular suicide. So it brings oxygen and these um, potent essential oil plant-based compounds and tannins into kill off bacteria, yeast, and even uh, parasite activity. And then the last player in this uh, bundle is called Ultimate Detox. And this is taken to help the body in the removal of the die-off. And so if you're just kind of plowing the garden bed um, and you're not getting, you're not removing the weeds and they're just kind of composting, they might reseed and regrow bad, right? So we want to remove the die-off. Also, we can get um, an influence where the root isn't pulled out of the bad bacteria. So the ultimate detox helps us to get into what are called biofilms or basically these underlying mechanisms of bacteria. And that way we're really getting at the full piece of the bad bacteria to clean them up completely. Yeah. And let's just share with listeners. I know that sometimes in a cleanse, things can get way worse before they get better. Um, this is referred to as a Herxheimer reaction. So let's just talk about what this is and, and how we can support the body best through this. Yeah. So with Herxheimer reactions, often that is, and that's very common with functional medicine, is we're kind of pushing the body against the way it had been functioning. And the body can work in a common soul relationship with bad bacteria or even parasite. Um, and we see this in archaic studies on more kind of paleolithic um, studies on the human microbiome. And so we do want to still cleanse and create as much symbiotic environment, but there can be a decline during a cleansing property. And this is often because there are endotoxins or basically internal toxins that are released by 
microbes when they are dying or being killed off. So as we're bringing in the berberine boost and the candy active, these players are, again, like the weed killer, and there's a little bit of fight back from the bacteria, or there's the die-off influence, which can create kind of like a pre-like flu aching. Um, it can create fatigue. It can create a little bit of a dull headache. Um, it can create dermatological flaring. And so we really want to support our body's detox processes, which is why we've added that ultimate detox into that Candida Cleanse Bundle. We used to have it as an optional, and we just felt like, okay, there's too many people that are emailing us about having these uh, die-off side effects. And since we've incorporated that without making it an option and just making it a part of the protocol, that has extremely subsided. So having the ultimate detox in your cleanse helps significantly. So, you know, there's two phases of detoxification. There's phase one, which is the activation of toxins um, in the release process and making them water-soluble. And then phase two is the excretion or encapsulation, um, supporting those toxins to be eliminated through the waste products of the body. So we want to support phase one with antioxidants. And during this protocol, you are going to be, as I mentioned, lower carbohydrate. So antioxidants can come in low-carb forms like green tea and in pomegranate seeds, which are also a really great form of fiber, and in uh, polyphenols that are in cacao, like raw cacao powder, and uh, in turmeric and ginger. So those are great antioxidants. And then high sulfur compounds in the diet from our cruciferous vegetables, like our cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kale, all of those things help in that phase two detox support. And that all hand in hand is supported by fiber and ample fluid. So when we're looking at uh, fiber, we want to get at least 35 grams a day and then having at least two to three liters of fluid per day to help to move and create bowel motility and also support the liver and kidneys. That fluid is going to help to cleanse the blood and reduce that solute load to, to hit those detox glands. And then I'm also thinking about other ways we could support detox. Let's talk a little bit about a couple foods and a couple other ways to support that detox process. Yeah, so another one I'm thinking of that would work hand in hand with like the antioxidants, the uh, blog on our turmeric shooter. So the turmeric lemonade, I think we called it. Um, you could do that the keto version, keeping the honey out. Um, so definitely make sure that you would eliminate the honey in that recipe. And um, so we're going more for the high hit of lemon to stimulate bioflow from the liver and also um, getting that turmeric as the antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and also turmeric itself helps the liver. And apple cider vinegar flush is something that could be incorporated halfway through your cleanse. I like to keep all probiotics actually out during the first three weeks of a six-week cleanse so that we're really just focusing on that, focusing on that plowing influence of the body and then following on the proliferation or rebuild during the second half of that cleanse and then we follow a six-week cleanse with at least a four-week focused bacterial rebuild and that's with our bacteria rebuild bundle and the protocol that's all available in our beat the bloat ebook so definitely a good tool for those of you that think that that this dysbiosis might be you and then epsom salt baths and massages are huge um, as well as oil pulling Oil pulling helps to prevent the bacteria from translocating into the oral cavity or ear, nose, and throat. So when you're doing a cleanse, definitely extremely focused on oil pulling with the coconut oil. And um, Epsom salt helps with the detox process and also some of the aches that can occur with the die-off. I'm also thinking sauna would be a good tool. For sure, to yeah. Anything that will upregulate that cleanse. And we have a blog called Coping with a Candida Cleanse that we will put in the show notes so y'all can read a little bit more about what that Herx reaction looks like and how you can support your system. And of course, we'll also put links to that, that Beat the Bloat ebook, which talks all about the whole process as well. Awesome. So it's really important to understand that, you know, maybe pushing through is necessary to getting the full effects of that cleanse. Um, so I do want to wrap up here, but before we summarize for listeners, let's just really, really briefly talk about the gut <laughs> as the second brain of the body. So this like might be another, give me a double release. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, really, really briefly. Cause I think, I mean, especially with my writing of the anti-anxiety diet, I could do an entire episode on the second 
brain of the body and, and it's a whole chapter devoted on this element, but I will try to be brief. So the gut is intertwined with neurons and second only to the brain, okay? Over 500 neurons in the gut. And we also manufacture over 30 neurotransmitters in the gut, most of them working in the same way that they do in the brain. So in fact, we're talking over 90% of our serotonin and also the storage and production of the serotonin is in the gut. So we're talking about your feel-good anti-anxiety, landing gear, mood stabilizer, antidepressant serotonin. We're talking about 50% of our dopamine, which is that reward-seeking bliss. So can you see how dysbiosis can drive food cravings, right? So serotonin, dopamine, and GABA, all of these play a huge role with fermentation and good bacteria balance. And we call the gut the ENS, or enteric nervous system, um, internal, basically, nervous system in the, in the digestive area. And it's a primary division of our autonomic nervous system. So our autonomic nervous system plays a role on the function of our body that is regulatory. So it controls our heart rate. It controls our digestion. It controls our respiratory rate, sexual arousal. It is a primary driver of that sympathetic nervous system or fight or flight mode. And so when we're talking about this, this ENS, both because it manufactures those neurotransmitter and holds a lot of them and then has over 500 neurons, this is really the second brain of the body and it controls so many of these regulatory functions and it can work in connection with the central nervous system so the brain and the brain stem right or it can work actually we've we've seen in up-to-date research which is really crazy independent to or in response to our sympathetic nervous system or fight or flight mode so the vagus nerve which is what goes from the brain stem all the way down to the colon um, is our largest nerve that plays a big role in that autonomic nervous system, either the parasympathetic, relaxed, rest and digest, or the sympathetic, stressed, fight or flight. And this is kind of the highway of information that carries these signals of brain to gut, as well as signals from the microbiome. So here's where it gets really crazy. So the microbiome we've seen actually can upregulate and respond based on pathogens or bad bacteria influence. And also, as I mentioned, the microbiome can be sterilized by stress response. So there is this two-way signaling of the vagus nerve or that information highway of our brain and our gut based on the microbiome. And so if we have pathogens or bad bacteria release, our gut will actually tell our brain that we need more epinephrine or adrenaline or stress response. And that is often carrying more pathogenic activity, which then also sterilizes our serotonin, which then doesn't allow us that relaxation rebound from stress response. And it's just this like chronic chicken and egg relationship of fight or flight mode. And so really wild, I've seen clinically when doing a bacterial cleanse, it's extremely important to watch the serotonin state. Potentially some people benefit from use of something like 5-HTP or a precursor with serotonin building blocks um, or L-theanine on higher doses to regulate neurotransmitters because we can actually see vasovagal influence like uh, fainting or blood pressure changes or dynamic panic attacks or anxiety because of that sterilization influence and that gut role with our neurotransmitters. It's so wild and crazy. Um, so really optimizing our microbiome supports not only our digestive and immune health, which we've talked about, but also this optimal neurotransmitter production and mood stability. Totally. And so, I mean, like I said, I have an entire chapter on the anti-anxiety diet on this concept because social stress and anxiety drives excessive output of our catecholamine stress responding neurotransmitters which includes you know our epinephrine like i mentioned and dopamine and norepinephrine and that has been trended in research to influence the growth of bad bacteria you know and then again that bad bacteria or sterilization from stress drives down the serotonin so now we're experiencing you know 
more anxiety, more stress response without the landing gear to help our, our mind and the body then starts to have the physiological influence of elevated blood pressure, increased weight gain from excessive cortisol and all of the cascade influence of inflammation. Right. And then does, does dysbiosis even impact down to the level of something like BDNF? Yeah, so I've actually seen, so there's the influence of the microbiome on our neurotransmitters in that second brain of the body. And then the last thing I'll say, because you told me to be brief, Becky, because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the whole thing, right? Um, our brain-derived nootrophic factor. So this is something we're really researching in uh, brain trauma, in uh, cognition, dementia, Alzheimer's. And we're seeing that the BDNF, um, when it drops in the hippocampus of the brain, depression and anxiety is seen in higher rates. And so there's actually new drugs that are starting to target the BDNF in the hippocampus. Um, and we've actually seen with stress response and microbiome influence, they've done sterilized gut studies where they've actually added probiotics to a sterilized gut and they saw that the BDNF increased in the hypothalamus, and excuse me, in the hippocampus in the brain, and that actually reduced anxiety and depression and enhanced the production in turn of serotonin. So adding a lactobacillus supplement actually had an influence on this anti-aging brain property, um, which also again connects this gut as the second brain of the body. So probiotics not only have a neurotransmitter influence, they have a brain restorative influence as well totally wild. And I think we could do a whole other episode, like you said, on the gut brain connection. I'm sure we will in the future. Um, so I can't wait to learn more about all of these things, but for now, for today's episode on dysbiosis, we've covered the foundational information on what it is, how dysbiosis occurs, how you can assess and what you can do about it and why this all matters as the most important piece. Yes. And so I hope you all kind of Food for thought, the first thing I would challenge all of you listeners to do is start with that 50-50 blend of the lacto and bifido probiotic. Uh, try if you can't find one, my baseline probiotic, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And we'll also write out that probiotic challenge for you guys in our show notes. And you can find the show notes as a reminder on AllieMillerRD.com under the podcast tab and then click on the episode. And that's where you'll see all of the show notes. And so try that probiotic challenge as a litmus to yourself. And then if you don't get a bad reaction, you could just keep with that in the playing field and keep probiotic rich foods into the mix. I know we didn't talk a lot about those today, but I know we have tons of resources in other episodes and speak a lot to them. And so you could just keep as a baseline that baseline probiotic and probiotic foods and eat ample fiber and could be full steam ahead. Or if you have dysbiotic intolerance or a decline or some of these symptoms we're talking about, definitely look deeper into that beat the bloat and uh, the cleanse and how you can plow the fields and have a beautiful optimized microbiome garden bed with only petunias and roses. <laughs> um, so thanks guys for listening. And as always, please share this podcast with friends and family that you feel could benefit. And if you liked the episode, please head over to iTunes. Just take a couple minutes of your personal time to honor Becky and my time of putting this content and information out here for you guys by sharing it on your social media and or uh, giving us a five-star review on iTunes, which helps us to be visible in the Food is Medicine scope so others can learn as well. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well. <laughs>